if you're here for the first time, um, in your bulletin there is a blue sheet, there's a uh, sermon outline that will be helpful for you to follow. Would you begin uh, with a word of prayer with me? Father, thank you so much for these six milestones. In this seventh year, in 2014, we look to you now and your guidance from your word. Open your scripture so that we may see the wondrous things, the eternal things from you. There are so many different people who are coming from different backgrounds, whether they have been walking with you so many years, so intimately, whether they are not believer yet or just simply searching. Father, we pray that you will speak to each one of us in such a way you only can. Touch us with your personal words of encouragement and challenge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In a way, my message will be the seventh presentation of continuation, except that it's not, it's not a looking back the uh, six years of milestone, what God has done. We're going to look forward, seventh year, 2014, and ask for spiritual direction, we call, or in, uh, simply put, it's a vision for 2014 as a Crossway church family. For you are, uh, for, for those of you who are joining us and visiting, um, we could think of this as God's vision for Christ followers, anyone who wants to follow Jesus Christ. So hence the title of the message is A Vision for Loving Our Neighbor. As you can tell, our church is still very small, so we need to talk, talk about the need for outward focus. And if you grab any of, any of our church members uh, when we have lunch today upstairs, you could grab anyone. And I could almost guarantee you that our church members love Crossway. We've become such a good, small, tight, neat family. And I have become uncle to many, many kids. And it is not just a, a, the rhetoric only, but in terms of our care, sharing meals and sharing childcare, living life together. Some of our families go vacations together. How wonderful it is. But we've been having this nudge over the past several months to look outward. So the, the month of January is called Friends Month, we're supposed to invite our friends. We're enjoying our time together and the richness of God's word. Scripture became alive at Crossway for many of us. But it is intense and it is serious. So we wonder whether we could do that. We wonder whether our, our co-workers at, or neighbors were not really serious about God who are simply not interested in religious things. Can they come? Can we just, just enjoy our cozy family? After all, our room is small enough, so let's 
if too many people come, we have to find another place to meet or have another service. Let's not do that. That's a human thing to say. Nothing wrong with that. So let's kind of touch base on scripture guidance, which is one of our core values. What does scripture say about our focus? Of course, we are to care for one another. We are to worship together. The inward focus is important also, too. But the mission of the church, I'm going ahead. There are four reasons why we must have an outward focus. Number one is that it is a sign of health in a local church. Acts 1, 8, Jesus said, You shall receive power, power of the Holy Spirit, and you shall be my witness here, here in home only. No, in Jerusalem, in Judea, it's a concentric, concentric circle enlarging. Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The healthy Christian, healthy church looks outward because our Lord Jesus himself pointed that way. Secondly, it is the first step of the great commission given by the Lord. When we think about anybody's last word, especially our you know, mentors or our parents, our grandparents. This is their last word. We will pay attention. But this is Jesus' last word. And as such is the call, great commission. Jesus gave us mission. Go therefore to all nations, ta ethne, all ethnic peoples of the world. making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe the things that I've taught you. So if you look at the Great Commission, it's making disciples of all people, but the first step of that is go. We cannot wait and let people come. Go, therefore. So outward focus is important in that sense. And for our church family, we need to remind ourselves it is a way out of the ingrown tendency in a community. We become careless about what's happening outside. We become very self-centered, self-focused community. Still, you know what happens when we have become so ingrown? we nitpicking about little things. So that's why church splits happens, right? But when we look at the outward, our common goal and common enemies out there. So Crossway family, let me give you a heads up. We're going to rock the boat a little bit this year. Number four and final reason is it is, it is why Jesus sent his followers into the world rather than taking them with him when he ascended to heaven. Jesus' priestly prayer, Jesus' last prayer as he's departing this world, John 17, verse 18. Father, as, I have, as you have sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. 
but we are to go into the world. We live in this world, but we're not of this world. We have a mission. We have a reason and purpose why we exist in here. So by this time, okay, we're thinking about outreach. I need to invite people, share the gospel. Somehow we, become, we could easily become project mode. I have come from previous church focused on this goal of reaching the world innovatively. My heart is torn because a lot of unhealthy drivenness came out of that. And as we are pointing outward that our actual spiritual direction and vision is not just outward focus. We need to be guided by scripture. What would that be? So as you got the hint, crossway spiritual direction or vision for 2014 is to love our neighbor as Christ, Christ followers and his church. That's loaded there. But you could see what it implies. We don't want to think about outside as our project. We don't want to think about growing our organization. As after all, Crossway is built on concept of church is God's family, spiritual family, not enterprise. We, we don't want to think of our our guests and coming in as uh, spiritual customers who are looking for a good place to meet their spiritual needs. Not at all. We want to live our life together and for God as we are pursuing the Jesus way together. So it is to love our neighbor. But if we think culturally, what is predominant in our culture, we could be misguided. So hence the reason why we need to turn to scripture and ask, what does it mean for us to, to reach out, to love our neighbor? So in the remainders of time, I want to do two things. Number one, we want to look at Jesus' teaching on loving our neighbor. And number two, we want to make applications, practical applications for our church and for today's Christ followers. As Henry read, this is one of the most famous parables, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. There are two questions and two counter questions by Jesus and the lawyers, the expert in law, God's law, not the civil law, his answer and Jesus' response. It repeats twice. So here's the first question. First question is, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Another translation will call it, what, what must I do to receive, to almost earn the uh, eternal life? Verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up. Uh, when, let me clarify one more time. The lawyer is more of a theologian, expert in God's law, the Old Testament law, stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, 
What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And notice this, that this lawyer's question was not a genuine question. This is an ulterior motive to put Jesus to the test. After all, he was the expert in law. So he has a double face here, teacher, rabbi, very polite, respectable way. But in a sense, Jesus turns the table, redirects the focus, and actually the test us in him by asking the question in his reply. What is he saying the law? After all, the scripture matters the most in this. How do you read it? How do you understand it? And he even, he even affirmed him. You answered, good job. You answered correctly. So think about this. All of a sudden, this expert, highly educated theologian, is repeating the most basic ABC of Sunday school lesson. And the trouble is not ending there for the lawyer. The simple thing, love God and love your neighbor, if you really do this, you will inherit the kingdom of God, eternal life. Now go do it. You will live if you do this. The theologians and lawyers are debaters. They're known for the intellectual gymnastics in the streets and corners. And they talk and hours of debating. But Jesus made it so simple and said, go do it now. So here's a problem that he faced. He knew, he knew from the bottom of his heart, knowing the law was one thing, but it was another to really follow through it. He knew that he was coming short, far short from following the law. And Jesus' test was whether he could admit it. He didn't want to. He obviously had an ulterior motive. He, his purpose was not really receiving. So the second question came up. Verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, why that he does not, he cannot do what Jesus just told him, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That's the second question. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So Jesus, before he gives him counter question, to, in order for him to give him the counter, counter question, he gives this parable. And Jerusalem to Jericho is about 18 miles downhill. 
And it was a notoriously dangerous route. A lot of boulders, and it's really easy and convenient for the robbers to hide and trap people. So no, normally people really didn't travel alone. And this story sounds so realistic. And some commentators and scholars might say, this really happened and Jesus is actually using it. Not necessarily a parable. Who knows? But the important point is that Jesus was trying to ask him a counter question. Keep that in mind. His question is, who is my neighbor? Um, let's go back. Verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he, when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound him his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? That was the counter question. Jesus said, I mean, he said, the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The lawyer's second question was to justify himself. And Jesus replied, he actually, by telling him this terrible parable, he actually corrects and changes his question. He doesn't answer, such and such is your neighbor. Why is that? Because he saw ulterior motive. Who is my neighbor? What he's trying to do? It, this is what, what goes into his mind. There's a reason and it's good excuse I cannot say that I fully follow the law of law. What if I love someone and that happens to be not my, not my neighbor? After all, the Jewish people had this, you know, traditional sayings of that neighbors are of your own blood, which is Jewish people. And it gets even worse. There's someone spiritually elite like priests and Levites will say, someone who loves God, someone who is our own kind, Pharisees will say that. So that's Gentiles or outsiders. And they consider Gentiles enemies. So hence the saying, that ridiculous saying, that love your neighbor 
and hate your enemy. In Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is correcting all that. You, you have heard that love your enemy and hate your, hate your and love your neighbor and hate your enemies. I say to you, love your enemies. Consider this question that Jesus is asking. What is he asking? How does he change it? The question is not who is my neighbor drawing a boundary. The question should be, to whom can I be a neighbor? In other words, how can I be a loving neighbor? Oh, this is an elementary lesson for us, too, intellectually. But we need to think about this. <coughs> Jesus' point is be a loving neighbor to all people around you. In other words, our love should not be limited by the object of love, who they are. Consider this. In the first century, even the clothing was very important property. So the, the, the robbers come and strip them, not just embrace, you know, embarrass them, anything like that, but the clothing that keep the, the person wore was important to them. They took them. Okay, our clothing represents who we are, what type of group we belong to. Imagine that he was a priest, and then robbers beat him and, and stole money, but left him alone with his clothes. And then priests might have second thoughts. Fellow, fellow priest became a victim. I need to help him. Who knows? He is stripped naked. He is nobody. If no one helps him, what's going to happen is the slave trade. People will come, up, come around, pick him up. And not only he's robbed, he's going to be sold as slave to somewhere. And to highly religious people, and even in our uh, youth retreats when we were growing up, and some of you remember this, there's a poor excuse that you know, priest and a Levite might have. Because they're you know, there's a highly delicate ceremonial law. They are not to touch the dead people when they go into the temple to give offering to God. But Jesus' words, did you hear that? The priest was going down to that road. In other words, if Jesus, the priest was going up, is it going to Jerusalem, the temple? Whatever the reason why he finished that business, and then he's coming down, maybe going home, visiting someone. So he has a Levite also, doesn't have any excuse. But let's take this simple thought, what Jesus is saying. You don't have a power to love your neighbor this way. And that's why I came, Jesus is saying. 
uh, we shouldn't take this as a spiritualization of the story only. So we just need Jesus. Jesus is a Samaritan who, who saved us. Actually, there's a 360 degree lesson here. We can't keep the law and save ourselves. So we need to turn to Jesus and admit our spiritual poverty so he can save us and give us a power to love our God with all our hearts and to all love our neighbor. The call for us today still stands. If we are going to love our neighbor on our own strength, we will become moralists or Christian hipster who is well-versed in social justice and poor. And one thing about a Samaritan here, Samaritans were hated and despised by the Jews. You know, you know brief history, the Samaritans were half-breed. When the northern kingdom, Israel, was taken over by Assyria, and obviously so many different ethnic groups moved in, and they became half-breed, and they created their own religion, and hence Jews didn't even eat with them, and they sometimes just avoid them intentionally. It is an oxymoron to call Samaritan the good Samaritan. Notice, Jesus is asking, who to whom? I mean, who is this among three? Is a neighbor to this victim here? Presumably Jew. And the lawyer cannot even muster the word Samaritan. He chose the word, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus is saying, you go likewise we are to look outward and we are to have an outward focus not because we have this entrepreneurial vision to grow our church to a certain degree of success but simply because it is the way of Jesus the way of the cross into which Jesus is inviting us for us to be authentic Jesus followers, Christ followers, where to do this. Four applications for our church and for, for those of us who are believers. Number one, as Christ followers, we are to love those who are beyond our own self-centered boundaries. The fact that Jesus was pointing to the Samaritan as the one who is helping the Jews. So think about this. We all have the little bubbles in our little world. The Asians will love the Asian culture and boundaries and the whites and Hispanics and socioeconomically middle class and then our societies become more segregated 
because of those likeness, boundaries. Jesus' word for us is we must take our focus off of ourselves, that which means our family, our loved ones, the one who, those who love us so much and make us feel special, but we are to look outward and take interest. For example, Mike Gardner rarely speaks any uh, English, and I repented about how little I know about Mike Gardner encountering. To, to me, he's the one that I could speak some uh, my high school Spanish to him. And then to my right, our neighbor is a heavy drinker and drops F-bombs. And you could hear our kids are hearing, ooh, F-bomb, you know, F-words again. You know those people that you, for no reason, have an irritation? Maybe, uh, you know, they're Middle Eastern people because you're some of relatives and some of your close friends got impacted by 9-11. Let's not become theoretical here, too. For our Crossway Church family, it's beyond our church. Who are in need? Who's hurting? Who doesn't have Christ? That's what Jesus is saying, isn't it? And we are to take this compassion for the outsiders. Number two, as Christ followers, we are to love our neighbor in this season of our lives without delaying it. And as a pastor of this church, I, I would own this first. And our church is made up by a 90% young families with little ones. We can't do anything because a lot of our kids are in the way. Serving somewhere? Oh, our church people used to do that when they're singles. For the next several years, we're sitting on a bench. Let others do it. And that's the temptation. But Jesus is calling us. And if you are Christ follower, Jesus calling you too to follow him today. In Matthew 8, the one example is that Jesus is calling everyone to follow him. And one person, noble uh, reason is that excuses that I have my father. Let me bury him, meaning that he doesn't he didn't die yet. He's in the old days, somewhere, somewhere along the line, he's going to die. Let me take care of my son duty. And then come back and follow you. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. It sounds harsh, but the point is, if Jesus is, is ultimately sovereign God, holy God, who loves us, and who must be in the first place, And if you love me, and if you love others more than me, you cannot be my disciple. 
the ultimatum of Jesus as sovereign God it still stands. So in this season of our lives, we're not perfect. We should not idealize our obedience and some kind of this tremendous impact that we're making on Santa Ana or any other cities. We gotta be kidding. Usually Christmas time, I take one son or two sons to sing Christmas hymns at convalescent hospital, nursing home in Santa Ana. I've done that with my youth groups when, when I was younger, college. And you know the reason why I'm doing it? Because by doing and touching their hands, their lives are not impacted and changed. They will die somewhere along the line. And they're lonely people. But it, we are called to be Jesus, little Jesus, little Christ to them. We should not look for pragmatic, teleological reasons of such as like our perfect transforming power to others. Now, we might be dirtying our diapers doing so. You might have only one hour of caring for someone, even just praying for someone. But we are to do it. Not 10 years later, not when our kids are growing up, grown up, we will have other issues then. Number three, as Christ followers, we are to love our neighbor holistically, which means not just spiritual, social, emotional, and physical needs also too. Galatians 6.10, Paul's words is this. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. That's our neighbor. And especially to, to those who are of the household faith, faith. Of course, Christian brothers and sisters, we should take care of them first. But it doesn't end there. To everyone. What kind of good things? Maybe it could be being gentle, kind. That's <coughs> a gas station. Maybe we begin to take interest in person who are in the next cubicle and their spiritual destiny and begin to pray for that. <coughs> and a good thing is that there's a rumbling in our community. There are a couple of our families with young kids. They wish to volunteer, and they have volunteered in this uh, soup kitchen. One of our brothers goes out you know, <coughs> block <coughs> and do, the, do evangelism on Friday nights. Maybe not all of us can do that. But the idea is that we are to love others holistically. <coughs> We're to think of... <coughs> Think of a people, not as projects. Our friends months end today, January, right? But my challenge is that if we become a loving neighbor, we'll continually take interest in people who are not with Christ. 
and invite them to church and pray for them and share the gospel with them. Help them in their need as much as we can. I need to make a couple points on this. Number one, I think <clears throat> we need to think about the, what human are. The basic human being means human being is a spirit, uh, exists forever, but spirit itself is not a human being. It will be an angel. So there are a couple of things that, quotes that I'd like to share with you briefly. One is from John Stott. And John Stott quotes this uh, nameless homeless woman who were turned away by Christian vicar. Vicar is like a rector or the priest or that the pastor type. Woman wrote this poem and left it at the shelter. I was hungry and you formed a humanities group to discuss my hunger. I was imprisoned and you crept into your chapel and prayed for your early release, my early release. I was naked. And in your mind, you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick, and you knelt to thank God that you were in health. I was homeless, and that you told me of the shelter found in the love of God. I was lonely, and you left me alone to go pray for me. You seem so holy, so close to God, but I am still very hungry and lonely and also oh very cold. We're not to dichotomize or polarize the spiritual needs and physical needs. We are to think of it as inseparate. One thing, I'm going to press on on the other side of emphasis by Tim Keller. There are many who insist that doing justice spreading the gospel it is evangelism, they say. Doing justice can indeed lead people to give the message of gospel, grace, or hearing. But to consider the deeds of mercy and justice to be identical to gospel proclamation is a fatal confusion. I propose a different way to understand evangelism and social justice. They should exist in an asymmetrical, inseparable relationship. I love that. Asymmetrical. Two very different things, but inseparable things. We're not to be Christian hipster who is known for justice and put it on the Facebook so everybody knows we are cool, hipster Christian. Aren't you sick of them? And we are not to be this Bible-thumping, the Christians who speak of the salvation of all people without getting hands dirty. Two are inseparable. My time's up, so I'm going to finish up with this. As Christ followers, we are to love our neighbor humbly by Christ's love and for Christ's sake. Colossians 3.17 gives us a reminder 
whatever you do in your word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, not your own name, not your own honor, not your own name, fame, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Christian love must be, above all, genuine and humble. We don't have a supernatural resources. We are not the higher spirit giver who gives handout to the poor and to our need. We're actually broken people, a wounded healer, to come around with our imperfection, with our brokenness, to share where we got the healing, the touch of Jesus, the salvation and joy of our Lord. Let's start today. Let's not wait until we become rich enough, like a Bill Gates. I will help a lot of people. Let's not wait until we become, like Mother Teresa, that our spiritual life is overflowing so maturely. Let's do it today. In closing, Crossway spiritual direction and vision for 2014 once again is to love our neighbor as Christ followers and his church. Crossway family, and for those of you who are joining us, Christ followers, will you join in in this spiritual direction? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the clarity of your guidance from the scripture. We don't want to be like the, the lawyer, the expert in the God's law, to know so many things, to talk, to debate about things. Help us to be selfless without ulterior motive to give you glory, full glory, and to love by Christ's power and love. Oh, have mercy on our church this year. We boldly ask you to use us to love our neighbor around us. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.